turn with me again to uh, Exodus 39. And I'm not going to read all of this. We, we've, uh, we've been doing this the last few weeks because these last few chapters are repetitive uh, to the middle 20 chapters of Exodus. And so with all of the text that is there and the fact that we are taking a second look at these priestly garments, uh, the first time around we took probably more of a look at them in the context of the nation of Israel and uh, the Hebrew context. This second time around, we're taking a little more, although we will do a little bit of both, but uh, we're leaning more towards application for us as the New Testament believer. Does that make sense? First time around, Lord, what, what were you doing with Israel? Second time we look at these priestly garments, look at them more uh, related to our specific walk here um, a few thousand years later. Uh, because God is still wanting to uh, have us wear garments that are given to us by Him. Amen? Even when we get to heaven, we'll, have, uh, we'll be given spotless white garments to serve Him in. So starting with, uh, starting with verse 1, and I'll, I'll tell you when to skip down because I'm not going to read every one of these verses, but we'll start with verse 1. Of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, they made garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place, and made holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord uh, had commanded Moses. Of course, Aaron being the high priest. Uh, He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen. And they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut, uh, cut it into threads to work it in with the blue and the purple and the scarlet thread uh, and the fine linen into artistic designs. They made the shoulder straps Uh, I'll drop down uh, to verse 6. And they set onyx stones and enclosed it in settings of gold. They were engraved as signets are engraved uh, with the names of the sons of Israel. Put put them on the shoulders, so the stones were on the shoulders uh, of the ephod as memorial stones. That's important. Uh, Verse 8, and he made the breastplate artistically woven uh, like the workmanship of the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread of fine woven linen. He made the breastplate square by doubling it a span with its length. Uh, and then if you go down through, there's all the precious stones. Each stone corresponds to one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So we won't read all of that, but each one of the stones, precious stones, uh, again, the, uh, the pan itself made of gold, uh, the square plate on the chest. Uh, drop down to verse 22. Uh, he made the robe of the ephod of uh, woven work of blue, and there was an opening in the middle of the robe, like the opening of a coat of mail, with a uh, woven binding all around the opening so it would not tear. Uh, He made the hem of the robe with pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet, and a fine woven linen, uh, made the bells of gold, and put the bells between the pomegranates. Drop down to verse 27. Uh, They made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons. Again, all the priests had to wear these fine linen tunics. That would, the tunic would be underneath the ephod. I'll show you in just a second a picture of what this looks like. Uh, the turban, uh, a turban of fine linen, exquisite, exquisite hats of fine linen, short trousers and fine woven linen, a sash of fine linen with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. You can see the colors are repetitive. Uh, and then in verse 30, then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold, wrote on an inscription like the engraving of a signet, Holiness to the Lord. And they tied to it the blue cord and fastened above the turban as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
Father, we pray again uh, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit and speaking to each and every heart. We thank you, Lord, that your word, uh, Lord, it transcends time. What you spoke to the children of Israel many years ago still speaks to us today. And Lord, we pray that we would hear, learn, and apply all that you would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you could pop that picture up real quick um, that actually shows what the... um, what the uh, priestly garment. Now, this is the high priest garment, and I put that up just so you have a point of reference. Uh, the white here, this is the tunic. You see the sleeves. The tunic is the all one piece white fine linen. So this was, this was worn by all the priests. The high priest receives the ephod, the breastplate, but all the priests were given fine white linen. We will be given white garments, all of us, because we've all been named, as according to the Scripture, priests and kings unto the Lord, right? So we too will receive white linen, whatever, well, we will receive white garments. What the Lord's made of, some kind of heavenly uh, material, I don't know, but we do know that uh, we will be wearing something similar in the presence of the Lord, fine white. But the high priest had these other elements that were over top of the tunic, and of course, you see the turban there uh, in Hebrew up there, but it does say holiness to the Lord uh, right there on the brim or the front of the turban. And then, of course, you've got the breastplate there, which has the 12 precious stones. It's made of gold, but then you notice that it says that they would take and beat the gold into fine, fine, thin, and they would be able to take the gold and make threads. Some of you and, um, and other parts of the country they are other parts of the world, they still thread with fine gold uh, into different garments, uh, makes it more costly, very, very valuable. But also you can see up on the shoulders, there's where the onyx stones are. Those of you familiar with onyx, uh, that's another type of stone. And, and that's where the memorial, they were called memorial stones. Memorial is something God wants us to remember, right? We, we'd put memorials up. So the 12 tribes, uh, or the uh, 12 tribes, six on each side, they're on um, the uh, onyx stones there at the shoulder. And then, of course, this is the ephod right here. The ephod, you might think of like an apron. It lays over the top and it has the straps. And the ephod is all woven together with scarlet, with purple, with gold, and with blue. And this is a very beautiful, not only very beautiful, but uh, extremely valuable. Uh, I, I tried to find an estimate I didn't find one of what it would be worth to kind of make this, but just the breastplate alone, you can imagine would it be extremely valuable uh, because of its high content of gold, and the stones were not small stones. They were large, precious stones, so you know that uh, incredibly valuable, and this was uh, what Aaron and the high priest, and each high priest that would come after him would wear this, and again, all the priests would wear the white tunic. So I just wanted to give you a, a visual um, understanding. Maybe you've seen this before. Maybe you say, "Why? Well, I, I, I just read all that and had no idea what you were talking about. Something about gold and thread and, and this and that and stones. And this is what it looked like. So if we can take that down, we'll go back into uh, the word here. A first grade teacher asked her students, said, what do you do to help at home? One little girl said, I I dry the dishes. Uh, One of the boys said, I sweep the floor. Another one said, I feed and water the dog. 
I don't know how you water the dog, but I understand what the child meant. Every student in the class had something to contribute except for one boy sitting in the back. The teacher looked at him and asked, what do you do to help out at home? And he said, I stay out of the way. (laughs) Now, some of you probably have heard that from, especially around Thanksgiving and holiday, you know, parents are just stay out of the way and you'll you'll be helping. Um, This boy's response is the mindset of so many people. Uh, But the fact is, just like everyone at home must serve and contribute, we have all been called as chosen priests, haven't we? Chosen priest. Jesus said, you did not choose me, I chose you. We've all been called as chosen priests of the Lord in serving Christ in the tabernacle of his body, which is the body of Christ, and the wilderness of this world. We're in both, aren't we? We're still in the wilderness of this world, and we're still in the tabernacle of his body here on earth. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, let every man abide in the calling wherein he is called, and his work will be as sacred as the work of ministry. It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. Why he does it. Why do we uh, now serve the Lord? Why are we called to be priest unto the Lord? And what does that look like? We're certainly not called by the Lord to just stay out of the way. You just stay out of the way. Now, Aaron and the sons of Aaron, uh, all the priesthood, the Levites, they were called to come together and serve together and work together. Now, granted, they had different callings. Aaron's calling as the high priest. He's the only one that wore the intricate ephod, but all of the priests worked together in serving the Lord. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word, Dressed for Ministry. Dressed for Ministry. And uh, we'll look at three things this morning, remembrance, reflection, and reverence. Remembrance, reflection, and reverence. When I was a, when I was a young boy, uh, growing up just going to church, and um, I, many of you know I grew up going to church, and then after my parents divorced. I didn't go to church for years, and, and uh, well, I did, and I didn't, but then late, late teen through college, I didn't go for about five years. Uh, but when I was a young kid going to church and would see what I thought ministry was, when I think about dressing for ministry, dressed for ministry, uh, when I was young, I thought to be dressed for ministry was to wear a full suit. It's just in my mind that, uh, that if, you were, if you were in ministry, you wore a suit. Full suit. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. I have pastor friends. My, my, my friend Tony Clark down in Newport News, he wears a suit every single Sunday. And he has good reasons. There's other people around the country that, uh, that, that feel led to wear a suit. Sometimes I wear a suit. When I do, I weird you out. But anyway, uh, I, think that, uh, I think that there's value Every, every flock is a little bit different, and God may call one person to wear this and another person to wear that, and, uh, and there's liberty in Christ in that, and there's value in some places you're not going to reach people as effectively if you don't wear a suit. In other places, you're probably not going to reach people effectively if you do wear one. Uh, it's not going to help you going through the slums of India overdressing beyond all of the people that are there, right? 
So it just depends on where God calls you. But I, in my mind, again, as a, as a child, wearing a suit was ministry. And of course, um, there's nothing uh, wrong with that whatsoever. In fact, even still today, there are places that it still matters that I dress differently. Hospital visits, funerals, weddings. I hope if I do your wedding, you hope that I'm going to wear a suit. If everybody else, uh, I'm wearing shorts and flip-flops because uh, that's the California, which I'm not from California. That, that is the, uh, the West Coast mentality. I'm kidding. We love the West Coast folks. But we know that certain professions, certain professions require certain dress, don't they? Now, you hope that when you go to the hospital, you can designate who is who, police, firemen, military. There's reasons for the way people dress. Uh, they impact morale. Some of uh, the way you dress is for protection. Some of the way you dress is for perception, because perception is reality at times, isn't it? It does matter what people think. It doesn't always matter what people think. If you live your life based on what everybody thinks, that's a problem. But if you never care what people think, that's also a problem, isn't it? So perception, teamwork, you know, if I'm watching a football game, I can usually tell which team is which because they're wearing a specific dress and a uniform, identification. All of these are reasons that uh, the Lord, we can see practically speaking that how we are dressed matters in different situations. But spiritually speaking, it also matters. The dress that not we ourselves choose, but Christ has given us. Remember, the priesthood didn't pick these outfits. God gave them to Moses on Mount Sinai and says, this is what I, not what I want, not what I hope you guys do, but what I am declaring you must wear. Isn't that cool? I mean, when God gives you an outfit, you really don't have to think much about, well, I wonder if this is okay to wear. Those of you at home, I have three daughters and a spouse. I get that question. So, what do you think about this one? I like it. What do you think about this one? I like that one too. What do you think? Which one's better? But when God gives you something, he says, this is what I want you to wear, spiritually speaking. See, the priests of the Lord and the high priest, they had clothing, they had garments, they had these elements that the Lord dictated as essential and required for their work and their service to be what? If they did not wear the clothes that God gave them to wear, then their work would not be acceptable nor fruitful. First of all, it wouldn't be accepted at all. Uh, Matter of fact, when you and I, spiritually speaking, are not wearing the garments of the Holy Spirit walking in our lives, then everything, no matter all the good stuff that we do, is wood, hay, and stubble. You understand that, right? There will be things you get before the Lord, and you, you, will, you will say, any minute now he's going to mention that thing I did. It'll never come up. You're like, did, he, did God forget? You don't, do you not remember the day I baked a cake for that family? Yeah, I do. But that was the day you had a horrible attitude, and you were gossiping and complaining. So therefore, that didn't really make it onto your reward record. But there really is a reward record. And those things are done when we're doing them in the acceptable garments of ministry that God has given us. Amen? I mean, there's grace, but there really is. The high priest uh, or the priesthood, they couldn't say, well, today I'm just going to wear something different. Right? Moses would take time out. 
We've gone over this. This is very, very important. You can't even enter into the holy place. It would be deadly for you to enter into the holy place not wearing what the Lord has said. We went last week not having cleaned in the bronze laver, right? All these things were important. Not having the sacrifice. You couldn't say, well, I'm going to skip steps two and three. They all mattered. Their garments were a continual reminder to themselves. Remember, you saw the intricate colors. You saw the different materials, the fine linen. These things were a continual reminder to themselves and to the people that the presence of God and His preeminence is desired in every aspect of our life. The preeminence of the Father. Amen? Thy fa- my Father, Thy will be done. Right? The Lord's will be done. Spiritually speaking, you and I have been given garments of grace, haven't we? Garments of grace. Not garments of works. The garments of grace. Now we do work in garments of grace, but we did not work for garments of grace. See the difference? We work in garments of grace, but not for garments of grace. The garments were given to us. They were a free gift. God says, right out of the closet of heaven, I put these on you because of the blood of Jesus. Now work in them. Go work in the field. Go work in the highways and byways. Go work in the tabernacle of the church. Not just this building, but the tabernacle of the church. Go work in the wilderness of the world. Yes, your feet will get dusty, but these are the garments I've given you to wear. You don't have to buy them. You don't have to take them to the dry cleaner. You continue to take them to me, and I refresh them. These garments of grace, they were purchased by our Master and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we wear them, God wants us to wear them in a right representation of Him, that we're dressed for ministry. And Tom was talking about this yesterday in the, uh, a little bit in the uh, marriage conference, that all of our marriage is a ministry. Husbands and wives, you know that. Your marriage is a ministry, but it's not just a ministry in and of itself. It's a ministry that then has a broad reach inside the home, outside the home, to other believers, to unsaved, the unsaved world. Our marriage is a ministry that must be cultivated, but as we do cultivate that ministry and remind ourselves and have the Lord remind us the purpose of it, we then have that impact on others. Let's look first at um, the first element here, uh, speaking of the ephod, starting in verses 2 through 7, and uh, our section of remembrance, remembrance. Billy Graham said this, he said, Christ can take the most sin-laden, selfish, evil person and bring forgiveness and new life. Now, all of you believe that, right? That Christ can take the most sin late. God has taken, I've heard testimonies of people that you and I would all say, man, if anyone deserves the death penalty, that's the person. And they've been saved on foreign fields and here in the United States, and today are just unbelievable, soft vessels for the Lord transformed. Paul was that way. A violent, insolent man before salvation, just the most gracious, used of the Lord man, as much as anyone has ever been in the history of mankind. The apostle Paul went from this 
you know, person that you would not have any love and respect for to, wow, he's a tender pastor, shepherd, all these things that God called him to be. I, I remember when I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, I'd only been saved for a couple of years. I got saved uh, in 1995 at Calvary, Fort Lauderdale. And then when we moved from Fort Lauderdale up to Charlotte, uh, when did we move? 97. Um, a few years, a-, a couple years after we'd been there, we were not attending a Calvary Chapel. There was no Calvary Chapel when we got to Charlotte. So we were at a church of God, a large church called Central Church of God. And uh, a group of men, we all went to a men's conference. And when we went to this men's conference, uh, a bunch of men decided that they would begin to serve the Lord. They made commitments. And it, what was really cool is I, I had a group of men that I was in a Bible study with, about nine of us, that all did make the commitment to meet together. But I'll never forget that uh, out of about nine of us, two of them, although they made the commitment to meet, were still living lives of sin. And it was obvious by the things that they would say. Now remember, I get saved in 95. I read the Bible. I take it 100% literal. So I would say, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't even be saved if you're going to live that way. And I would just flat out say it. Well, this one guy, one guy ended up falling away. And after, you know, us getting together, the, the moderator would say, well, there's, there is grace and there's carnality and there's this and that. And I would just say, no, no, you cannot be with your girlfriend and say that you've been redeemed and doing this and, 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 uh, and kind of going, I, I'll just stop at what they were, but just saying these things. And I would say, I, I love you guys. And I would, I would say, I love you guys, but you can't do this. Now, I've only been saved a couple of years. I'm kind of the, the, the lower third rung of the, of the, you know, again, we had a leader in the group. And, but again, we were kind of peers, but not peers. And we, here we are just kind of, and then one guy completely falls away. But the other guy kept coming, and one particular night, I'll never forget, we were meeting. Uh, Dave was, he had served time in prison, and he played football at East Carolina, huge guy. He's about, literally about 6'5", over 300 pounds. I said something that I just felt, Lord, and I thought he was going to reach across the table and throw me about 100 yards, and he could have done it. And he looked at me with eyes that could have killed me. And I said, Dave, I love you, but you cannot say you're in Christ and live that way. Now, the other guys were like, you know, all looking at like, you're going to get killed. And a few years later, after I had moved to Virginia, we talked, uh, somehow, I don't know how we tracked each other down or he tracked me down or something. He said, he goes, you know all that stuff you said that night? You were right. I wasn't saved at that point. I was coming to the Bible study. I was there, I was almost saved, but you were right. Now, I didn't know I was right. I just said what I thought the Word of God said. I didn't say he was or wasn't. I just said, Dave, this is what the Scriptures say. And he said, you were right. And he ended up selling his business. He's on staff there at the church. He uh, is the guy that leads the entire maximum security prison ministry across the entire state of North Carolina. And... Now, he's clothed for ministry. Before that, he wasn't wearing the tunic. He wasn't wearing the white garment. He, he could see it over there in the closet, but it was not on him yet. It was, he wasn't wearing it. It really, he didn't have what the Lord wanted him to have, and of course, he does today, and he's a neat brother. 
But when we look at the garments of salvation here, the memorial, the different threads, the scarlet, the blue, the gold, the purple, we look at these garments of salvation that the Lord has given us and the service that we've been given. And we remember, we should remember, one of the reasons you're here today, one of the reasons you get up every morning and reopen your Bible is you want to remember who your master is, who gave you the garments. And you want to remember the power and the access and the forgiveness, all these things we have from the Lord, don't we? We have access into the throne room of God. We can go into the Holy of Holies. And by the way, I don't own an ephod or a breastplate. Now, I've been given righteousness, and so have you if you've been born again by the Lord. Romans 13, 4 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. We're to put on Christ now. We're to put on the garments that He's given us. We look at these colors. Gold, pure gold. Most of you, when you think of pure gold, 24 karat gold, you know that, that it's very pure. And it's beautiful. 24 karat gold is prettier than 10 karat and all that other stuff. And that the pure, pure gold, the purity of it. The streets of heaven are what? Pure gold. The elements in the Holy of Holy, pure gold, right? Overlaid with pure gold. The lampstand, the Holy of Holies, overlaid with pure gold. And we see the purity of God, the purity of gold, the value of it. Think of the value of your salvation, the value of it. We look at the blue and we see that uh, the blue, what was the color of the ephod? The dominant color of the ephod when you looked at it, blue. It's the dominant color. Why? Because Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the high priest. We have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Jesus, the high priest, blue was the dominant color because Jesus is the high priest. But it wasn't the only color. There was the red that was in there, the scarlet, the blood of the sacrifice. And of course, not only would they have the sacrifice, but they would represent that the high priest to come would be the sacrifice. Jesus is He's an amazing, uh, that's, a, that's a really bad use of words, but Jesus is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. He is the purity. He is the everlasting life. And then we see the purple. He's the king. The king was royalty. The blue, per, kings wore purple. That meant the royalty of Christ. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And so all there in the ephod we have a remembrance. And when I read the Bible, when I do my devotions, and I'm sure you do too, some days I see God, I say, some days I see Jesus as Messiah. Some days I see him as king. Some days I see him as priest. I always see him as pure, and I always see in him the forgiveness of sins through the blood, his crucifixion. Now, you being here today, again, to hear God's word, uh, shows that you, you value that we remember these things, that we remember, uh, just like the priests, they, you know, they, they didn't say, do I have to wear this again today? This is all I ever wear. Think about that. 
This is all I ever wear. I put this tunic on every single day, and there's this sash around it, and the sash has the scarlet in it. Why? It was a reminder. Every day I put this on. Now, every day we need to remember, we can forget within minutes of our redemption, can't we? You know that because you're in traffic and you say something that doesn't sound redeemed. I'm not saying you curse like you used to, but you have the same attitude as if you were cursing, right? The only difference is you've changed your words, right? But the attitude is still there. We, we can forget, but we need the remembrance of the garments that we're told to wear, the fact that you're here this morning, the fact that you're assembling with other believers. You value that God would help you to remember these things, that to memorialize them, not just memorialize them up here, but in the heart level, right? There's a missionary testimony, and the missionary said, I learned a great lesson from an illiterate woman of the Mandaya tribe in Minadanoa when I was serving as a missionary to the tribe. I saw her shivering. I could tell that she had malaria. I approached her and said, you should have stayed at home. You have good reason to stay at home. She looked at me in the eye and said, at home I shiver, in church I shiver. I'd rather shiver in church. The understanding. Now, if you have malaria, I do want you to stay home. (laughs) But in some parts of the world, there's really no escape from disease. You know, Tom and them, they're going to Nepal. They had to get their shots. Malaria is common all over Nepal. It's like saying, oh, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to use hand sanitizer 24, you eventually got to touch something. But at the same point, there is the understanding that, no, I need to be refreshed. I need to be reminded. I need to go where the people of God are. I need to go where the worship is. I need to go where the Word of God is taught. I need these things. I need to remember them. Not just because I read them. I read the Bible, and yet I still love to listen to other pastors preach. How about you? I still want to hear other people talk about the Lord, and these things are important that we remember what the Lord has done for us. Use everything you can use. Use worship music. Listen to things that cause you to remember. Read things that cause you to remember. And the Lord wants us, the Scriptures say, to meditate on these. You know what meditate means? To think about it a lot. To dwell on it. To chew on it. Not only, um, not only the remembrance of what the Lord has done for us, not only the remembrance of these commandments as God's given us. But also think about this, when the priesthood, right there on the shoulders of the onyx stones are the 12 tribes. When the priesthood would go, and this is the high priest we're speaking of, for, uh, the high priest would wear that, but when Aaron would go and when he'd look down in the bronze laver and that water is smooth as glass, he'd see the reflection of the tribes right there. And it's another thing that when we wear the garments that the Lord's given us, we won't forget our brothers and sisters. We'll remember them. We'll remember to pray for them. We'll remember a Pastor Saeed or a Brother Gal in prison in other parts of the world. God will have us look into the face of His purity, and we will see not just ourselves. We constantly see ourselves. We see the bad in ourselves, but we also see the, you know, like, I want to serve myself, I want to please myself. We also see all of our mistakes, but we also see others, and And he would not forget, why am I serving as high priest? Oh, yeah, it's for Benjamin. 
and for Judah, right? It's for Ephraim. It's for each of the others. And why the Lord has given us these garments of ministry, why he's dressed us for ministry, is to remember that we are to serve others. What about reflection? The reflection here uh, that I speak of is found as we look at the breastplate. The breastplate, as I mentioned, uh, very, very valuable. Its exact value, I don't know. But again, large, precious stones. I'm sure if you had a breastplate, if you had the original one, you could pay off a mortgage or something, right? It would be worth a lot. Great value. Again, the value that the Lord uh, has given us. But what does it reflect? We see all these precious stones. We see that each one represents the tribes. Again, if we were talking more about the representation to Israel, there's certainly a lot that we can look at in that respect. But what about for us? What is it applying to us here in 2013? Well, Isaiah 61, 3, some of you are familiar with this verse, says to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planted of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The breastplate was not that the high priest would be glorified. It was that who would be glorified? That the Lord would be glorified. Just like on the turban, holiness to the Lord. That the Lord would be glorified. That God says, look, I have taken tribes that were enslaved and made them precious stones in the foundation of my wall, in the foundation of heaven. You and I will be precious in the foundation of the Lord. Jesus is the what? He's the chief cornerstone, but we have been made precious stones to go and build upon him that has laid the foundation. He is the cornerstone. But he not only has given us salvation, but again, he's given us these garments of praise, oil of joy. When you look at these stones, they're beautiful. I know you ladies don't mind looking at beautiful stones, right? And saying, I'll never own that. But boy, that looks nice, (laughs) right? (laughs) You look at some precious ring. That's a carrot. I remember when I got my ring, it was one one one-hundredth of a carrot, you know? (laughs) You look at, you know, but you look at these, you look at these beautiful stones, and most people like to look at beautiful things, right? We're attracted to a beautiful mountain. We're attracted to the beautiful sky. And the older you get, you don't, you know, when you're young, you miss sunsets and sunrises. You wouldn't even know they're out there. But the rest of, once you get older, you can't miss the magic. It's like God took a paintbrush and you're grabbing your spouse. You got to see this. And when you see the beauty of the stones that are on the breastplate, you would look at them and say, wow, the gold. When the sun would hit, when the sun would hit at just the right angle, can you imagine each of the stones and the color that it would, if it, you ever had a ring and, and you're in a room and the sun comes and you see the reflection hit all on the walls and you see it move around and that this is what happens when the sunlight would hit and it would reflect and you'd see the beauty and people would say, that's just gorgeous. Only God could have designed that little square and every stone in perfect place. The beauty of it, God says, this is what I want you to wear. Put it right there. But Jesus has given us another kind of riches to reflect. In Luke 16, 11, um, Jesus, when he was speaking about 
a parable. He says, who will commit to your trust the true riches? What's he talking about? What are the true riches that he's talking about? Well, he speaks of them in Revelation chapter 3. I I get to repeat one of the passages that Tom was covering. Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments. There's the white garments again. It's same as we see way back here in Exodus 39, the white garments that you may be clothed, the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Jesus says, I give you a riches, a riches that money can't buy. I give you garments that you cannot buy. They're clothed, or they clothe you in the blood of Christ. And these riches that God has given us, they reflect not so much monetary value, but they, re- they reflect God's character to the world. And people would say, that's really beautiful. Where did you get that? You know, it's just like people say, where'd you get that ring? Oh, it's a cubic zirconia. You can get it for $10. Uh, I saw a TV commercial for it. Or they might, no, no, this is, this is a ring passed down from my grandparents. My grandfather was really wealthy, bought it for my grandmother. It's worth $10,000. It was made at Tiffany or uh, what's the other, Cartier or one of these. People would say, wow. My grandparents left me a wooden box or, you know, something like that. You know, I didn't get anything like that. But people would say, where did you get it? Where did you get what reflects that kind of beauty? Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 4, Do not let your adornment be merely outwardly, arranging the hair, wearing of gold, putting on fine apparel. This is what, this is what the world does. They try and impress you with their clothes. They try and impress you with all the brand name. They try and impress you with all the stuff that they own and buy, as if you're supposed to say, wow. And yet people do do that, don't they? They kind of bow down and worship some of them, depending on how high they are in the popularity or the celebrity status. But Peter goes on to say, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Not necessarily precious to everybody else, but people will still notice what you have must come from God. That you couldn't have designed. The breastplate, the ephod, these things designed by the Lord. By the way, another thing that we, that we wear that is not so fun, but it's part of our job. It's part of our service. Did you know that the breastplate was also called the breastplate of judgment? One of my responsibilities is to preach judgment to come. What, it, was, it was beautiful. I can tell people all, and I'd love to tell people, about the good news, the beautiful gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel of peace, All those things are true. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. Prince of peace. I tell all those things to anyone that I meet who's unsaved, and I reiterate it to myself and the body of Christ, and yet I also have to tell people, but you're on your way to hell if you're not saved. Judgment is coming. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Judgment. The priest had to remember that although God has bestowed beauty and grace and garments of praise, and oil of gladness, and salvation, at the same time, don't forget that I'm a God that judges, and will judge, and will continue to judge, and will have an ultimate judgment on any of those who say, thanks, but no thanks, I'll wear what I want to wear. And that's a lot of people, isn't it? 
Jesus said, that road is broad. Most people are on that road. They, they might see your blessed breastplate of righteousness. They might see your white tunic and say, that's nice and all, but I'm not interested. I don't want to be a servant of the Lord. I want to be a person that has a lot of fun, does what I want to do. And so it reminds that really judgment is still coming. And it keeps us in the right mindset to know that, look, this world is not my home. I want to be at the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment. You know that both are, everyone will stand before one of those two judgments. Amen? Which one will you stand before? Judgment seat of Christ, you'll receive rewards for all that was done in the work and the power of the Holy Spirit under the blood of Jesus. These things were pure works. And then the great white throne judgment, you'll actually give an account of every single sin ever committed. Ever. Every single sin. Those of us who are saved, we don't have to give an account for one single sin. We will get rewarded for the things that we had done that were uh, done in Christ through the power of the Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful, the judgment seat of Christ? Now, some people will receive greater rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, right? There are going to be people that will receive greater rewards, and then there will be people at the great white throne judgment that will receive greater condemnation and even more punishment in hell. That's not popular preaching, I know. But it's the truth. How in the world will the world be saved if they don't know truth? Truth is important, isn't it? It sets men free. And so judgment is something that you and I, as much as we might not like it, we say, yes, Lord, thy will be done. Part of our responsibility is Paul said, I have the blood of no man on my hands. Isn't that a great thing? Can you go to sleep and say, I don't have anyone's blood on my hands? Wherever Paul went, Paul said, I love you enough to tell you these things. Remember what I I said to my friend Dave. I love Dave. I nearly got killed by Dave. But later he said, you were right. And, And our love and friendship is way deeper because of it. Because I really didn't, I wasn't trying to be, oh, I'm spiritual, you're not. No, I, I know my flaws. I'm saying we have to run from these things and allow the Lord to do a beautiful work in our life, but not forget that it's important that we also remind people that Jesus has saved us from something. We didn't make ourselves all of a sudden reflect his character. He did the work in us. Speaking of his character in 1 Peter 5, 5, he writes, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. This is another thing that the Lord wants. It's a beautiful thing. The, the, the nature of the world is not humility. Would you all agree with that? That's not the nature of the world. That's not to say that everyone in the world is arrogant. I've met very nice, humble people, at least on the exterior, that don't know the Lord But the nature of the world is not humility. Jesus was the essence of humility. And one of the things that he wants us to be clothed in is humble. We don't need the pat on the back from men. We don't need the praise of men. We don't 
orchestrate everything we do to get noticed by somebody. We don't do everything we do so people can say, wow, you're such a charitable person, or wow, you do this, or wow. We just want to live sincerely, simply, and humbly before our God. Amen? I mean, it drives you crazy if somebody is telling you over and over and over again how fantastic they are. Does that make you say, I need more of you in my life? <laughs> right? No. It doesn't help anybody. There's a Christian attorney uh, down in North Carolina. Um, he actually attends one of the other Calvary chapels. He, he, he made this quote. His name's Ted Edwards. He said, um, this was just kind of an encouragement to us as a believer. He says, the first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. The first to serve is the happiest. God wants you to be first. That is the philosophy of Christ. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. And why would the last be first? Because they're the first to apologize. They're the first to forgive. They're the first to serve. This is not the world's system. The world system is, I will not forgive until you do. I'm not here to serve you. Serve yourself. But not for Christ. He puts a different garment. He puts different garments on us to reflect Christ. What do people see in our spiritual dress? I, I mentioned to the, uh, the, marriage, uh, the marriage retreat yesterday and, and just some closing comments. Uh, I love the quote from Abraham Lincoln. That uh, he, he said, I believe a man is as happy as he wants to be. And spiritually speaking, I know that to be true. Uh, I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm talking about we have as much happiness in Christ as we have in our walk and relationship with Christ. And then if the relationship with Christ, the deeper the roots go, the more he fills us uh, with the water and the nourishment, and we will produce fruit and joy, and people can see it in our face and our countenance. It's not fake. You're not having to, like, turn this plastic smile up, right? It's genuine. It really comes from the Lord. And you can even smile when you're in pain and no one else knows about it. Emotional pain, physical pain, some kind of pain that no one else is aware of, but Jesus is aware of it, by the way. And when you refresh others in that state, God refreshes you. And that's a different type of garment that the world, do people see you as humble? Do they see you as happy, merciful, cheerful? You know, interesting in Romans 12, 8, that merciful and cheerful are actually joined together, that we're to be merciful people with cheerfulness. Because a lot of times when you're given mercy, you're giving someone something they don't deserve, it's not easy to be cheerful. Jonah did not have cheerful mercy to the Ninevites, did he? God wants to save y'all. I have no idea why. Um, I've prayed that he would incinerate every one of you. I personally hate all of you. But he, in whatever reason, wants to be merciful to you. I'm going to go onto this tree and hopefully die. Because you didn't die. And if you're not going to be dead, I want to be dead. Literally, that is what Jonah was feeling. And saved people can do that. 
You and I can act that way, being saved, we can actually act that way, and we've taken off the ministry garments, and we've put on the world's garments. Amen? That is not what we want the world to see. That's not what God wants to see us in serving him. We're to be encouraging people, peaceful, loving. When we say, wow, that person radiates the love of Christ, we see the countenance of Christ on them, don't we? We've all seen people like that. Chuck Smith, I, when I shared with him, Chuck would radiate the mercy and joy of the Lord in his life. And I love to be around, how many love to be around people like that? That they lighten your load. Then you get around the other group. You feel like someone just slapped a thousand pounds on your back. And not to say that there's not a purpose for that because we are, we're there to bear other people's burdens. And a lot of people, again, they haven't heard the good news of Christ or they really are saved and they really are down. And it's okay. We need to pick those folks up. We need to put our arm around them. I don't mind at all. I really don't. The longer I'm saved, the more I enjoy putting my arm around someone who's really discouraged. That comes with growth and maturity. The longer you're saved, the more you actually enjoy doing that. I would rather encourage and lift someone up but I also love to be around people who encourage and lift me up. And as a body, we would be the priestly garments that when people see us, they say, wow, you're someone that can minister. When you would see the priesthood, you would know they were there to minister to everyone. And those are the folks that God would have us to be. Yes, we still need to weep with those who weep. Yes, we need to mourn with those who mourn. But we also should have a joyful countenance and say, look, I have a reason to be happy. God has saved me, and he'll do the same for you. Can I pray with you? Can I help you? Can I serve you? The announcement that Scott made, can I come and do something to help you in your time of need? This is what the reflection of Christ. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. You either are ministering, or you are someone's ministry. And we all need, in some respects, we all need to be ministered to. That's why we need each other. That's why the body of Christ. I need other pastors to minister to me, but I also need to constantly be ministering to other people. This reflects the Lord. Last thing we'll close with in reverence. And reverence here uh, in verses 10 through 16. Nope, not 10 through 16. Uh, verses, uh, the last few verses here, uh, verses 30 and 31, holiness to the Lord. Uh, we see the, the, uh, the remainder of the uh, garments, the, the linen tunics, and ultimately uh, what is there on the turban is the essence, is the essence of what we know of God, His holiness. Remember I mentioned, in the throne room, what do the angels say constantly, never stopping? Holy, holy, holy. Nothing else. Not love, love, love. Not peace, 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 not joy. Even though God wants us to reflect all those things, God, if you know anything about God, you must know He's holy. And He wants us to be holy people. Does He not? You can't make yourself holy, but you can choose to be holy by obeying the Lord. Psalm 141, verses 1 and 2 says, Lord, I cry out to you, make haste to me. Give to me, give to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up my hands as the evening 
sacrifice. Psalm 141, verses 1 and 2. We come before the Lord and we bring a sacrifice of what? Praise, a sacrifice of confession. Lord, we know you're holy. We cannot stay in your presence unless we have your holiness. And we come and we cry out with our voice. And you know what? God is so merciful and so gracious that he hears our cry and says, yes, because you recognize my holiness. God loves when you recognize his holiness. Loves it. You can never too much recognize God's holiness. You will never be scolded for God and said, God, you are thinking way too much about my holiness. Stop thinking about my holiness. You will never, ever have God say that because the more you think about his holiness, the more he will perfect you and I. Now, you will hear God say, you don't think enough about my holiness. That we absolutely will hear. All of us are guilty of not thinking enough about his holiness. And so God says, I'm going to put it right smack on your forehead on a turban. And every time you look down in the laver, you're going to see holiness to the Lord. Oh, there's my brothers. I need to remember them. Holiness to the Lord. Yeah, I was not real happy with Ephraim, but uh, holiness to the Lord. God wants us to constantly be remembered. You and I may not wear a turban that says holiness to the Lord, but our lives will demonstrate whether we really have reverence for the holiness of the Lord. All it? We, we can see who fears the Lord and who doesn't fear the Lord. We would wish our whole nation would fear the Lord. You know, when revival, I, you saw that video when revival broke out in 1857, people started to fear the Lord. Entire police forces were disbanded. That's what holiness does. How would you like to know that you could leave your doors unlocked? That's what holiness does. Isn't that awesome? When God brings holiness, it, everyone, it's health to their bones. The opposite of holiness is chaos, destruction, murder, violence, arrogance. But holiness is a purifying work that says, wow, I can let my kid walk to the park and not worry. That's what holiness does. Psalm 19, verses 8 and 9 says, The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You know, the world hates the statue of God. They violently oppose everything of God. Literally, lately, the demonstrations are violent, but the statues of the Lord are right, and they rejoice our hearts. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We can see better now, can't we? When we get into His holy. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. I, I like to be clean. How about you? The worst, than you smell bad because you were out all day in the garden or whatever. You can't wait to get clean. This is what the Lord, His holy presence cleans us. It opens our eyes. I, I, I sometimes have to put eye drops of moisturizer. My eyes get dry. I hate that feeling. But when God puts that moisturizer of holiness in our eyes, and it's clean, and it causes us to rejoice. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-three: you who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. And fear Him, all you offspring of Israel. That's us. We're the spiritual offspring of Israel. We were born out of. Paul talks about this in Romans. The holiness of God. Our focusing on it, it lightens us. It liberates us. We won't become weary. We actually will mount up with wings of eagles. We'll run. The commandments of him won't be burdensome. These things that the Lord does when we focus on his holiness are good things. And the last thing I want to share, Ezekiel 44, 18 says this. It says, they shall have linen turbans on their head, 
and linen trousers on their body. They shall not clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. Now that is a reference to the same priestly garments in the millennium reign of Christ. What does that tell us? That when we work for the Lord, when we serve the Lord, when we remember His holiness, it will not be burdensome. It is a delight. It doesn't cause sweat. I'm not sweating either. I can feel it. I'm not sweating. You don't have to sweat this problem. You don't have to sweat and toil. You can let the Holy Spirit flow through you when you say, Lord, I come into your holy presence and allow you to transform me. Then you stop doing things in your own power. The world puts a burlap sack on you. God puts fine linen on you. Big difference as we come to a close. You know, I think about these three sections that we looked at this morning. Remembrance and reflection and reverence. And another way I could look at it is healed, happy, and holy. Healed, happy, and holy because of what the Lord has done for us. Amen. Let's close in prayer.